The COVID-19 crisis has not gone away, and a new crisis confronts Kansas City in the streets. I'm Dave Helling of the Kansas City Star's editorial board. Greetings. You're on Deep Background. Well, greetings here on Deep Background for June 10th, 2020. Dave Helling with the Star's editorial board and Derek Donovan with the editorial board, your co-hosts for today's podcast. And joining us, two more great reporters at the Kansas City Star, Katie Moore. Katie, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And Steve Vakrat, who's uh, joining us as well. Steve, great to have you on Deep Background. Good to be with you. Yeah, great. Well, we're going to talk about the two big stories, obviously, in Kansas City and really in the country, and that's the continuing unrest following the uh, killing of, of uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis and what it means for Kansas City and how that story has unfolded. But uh, the headlines uh, that we have uh, uh, contributed to that story over the past couple of weeks have obscured the equally compelling story in some ways of the continued response to COVID-19 because I think there is, Katie, an assumption that it's not a problem anymore and it's really gone away and we can all go back to our normal ways of life. Uh, but you've done some reporting that suggests that uh, COVID is still with us. Is that right? I mean, bring us up to date really on where we're at. Yeah, I mean, the virus is definitely still out there. Um, the uh, numbers of people continue to rise and, you know, we can expect that to continue until really there's a treatment or there's a vaccine. Um, so, you know, the, the numbers continue to rise. And um, I think there was some good news yesterday. I did a story about um, so the positivity rate is dropping and the rate of new cases seems to be declining in Missouri and Kansas, but there are still some hot spots. Um, earlier this week, uh, a nursing home in Clay County said that they had an outbreak. So there are still like concerning places. Yeah, but that's really, I mean, one of the interesting dynamics of all of this seems to be, Katie, that it is a phenomenon in some ways, particularly in our area, of hot spots, isn't it? It's a paper plant. It's a nursing home. You know, statewide, it's a meatpacking plant or, or you know, uh, warehouses where people work in close quarters and maybe don't practice distancing. You don't see it as a widespread, uh, you know, random uh, uh, illness in people. Is that right? Do we see that right that really this is a, a phenomenon of, particular places that may need to do a better job? Um, I think particular places like nursing homes and the meatpacking plants have been particularly hard hit, but there is still community transmission. So people still need to be taking precautions in terms of when they're going out to the grocery store. And I think also with the protests that are happening and some other larger events, um, there are concerns about what might happen in terms of the numbers in a couple of weeks. Yeah, Steve, that's right, isn't it? That not only is it the protest, but you get the sense that Social distancing is honored in the breach in some ways, uh, that that um, uh, people aren't wearing masks like some uh, others feel that they should. Restaurants are reopening. I mean, you get the idea that the, the sense of emergency has really gone away. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, you know, the, there are people who are kind of sliding back into the uh, regular pattern of life that they were used to prior to this. But I think there is also still significant caution. There's still people working from home, as the uh, four of us are uh, currently. Um, and so, you know, Katie's point is right. I mean, I, I track a few different metrics uh, when it comes to COVID. And, 
you know, Johns Hopkins University has a pretty handy uh, analysis uh, state by state. And about a week ago, they were showing on a term of 14-day rolling average that Missouri was increasing, but now it's actually decreasing. Uh, check this morning. There are a number of states that are sharply increasing, however. And, you know, the Washington Post had a report this morning that said that, you know, you can't even attribute all that to an increase in testing, that, you know, that they've had the sharpest, some of the sharpest seven-day spikes. Uh, and those, those are states like I think Texas and Florida and a few others. And so, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag around the country, and it's a mixed bag in, in, in the Kansas City area. To your point, yes, a lot of the cases are attributable to these, uh, that, of these hotspots that have been uh, pretty widely reported. You, you mentioned Texas and Florida. I think Arizona has also had a pretty significant spike. Um, that sort of disabuses us of the notion that warm weather, hot weather will somehow kill this virus, right, Steve? I mean, you don't, I mean, the idea that, well, boy, when the summer gets here, it's not going to be a problem because it's hot outside. And yet the biggest spikes seem to be in hot weather states. Yeah, that was, that whole idea was debunked uh, fairly early on. The research showed that, you know, warm weather would not have an appreciable effect on the transmission of this disease. But, but you are right. I mean, a lot of this, I'm, I'm looking at this map right now, in a lot of the states where they are, where the cases are spiking are primarily Southern states. There's some Western states in Michigan's kind of an outlier, uh, you know, among that kind of Midwest Great Lakes region. Um, right, right. We're steady. We're more or less steady in the Kansas and Missouri area. Katie, talk to us a little bit about the decision-making that's going to have to be made over the next couple of weeks about reopening schools, K-12 through schools, how that's going to work, reopening colleges and universities. There are, you know, some are doing staggered schedules, some are not. I mean, isn't that really, you know, sporting events, baseball, football – isn't that really the next sort of inflection point for this discussion? How do we, how do we, uh, uh, you know, operate these sort of intense group settings with COVID still as a as a problem? Yeah, I think there's going to be have, have to be a lot of decision making um, as we kind of move forward through the phases. Um, with the next phase, you know, with the restaurants being reopened, the next step is um, you know larger gatherings, and I think. Uh, public officials, businesses, different groups are having to suss out what steps they can take, what is going to be the safest way. And also another question is, will, will people um, abide by their rules or their um, their guidelines in terms of <clears throat> will they, you know, if you have a requirement to wear a mask, will people actually do that and what kind of enforcement there will be? I, I, I'm particularly interested in colleges and universities because that seems to me like an enormously challenging decision-making process. I mean, I, you know, we've all been to college, you know, that is not the optimum place to distance oneself from others who might be carrying this, uh, this uh, illness. Um, and it, colleges are all, and yet they're faced with the sort of the financial pressure of reopening so that tuition dollars will flow again and people will come back. We don't have any sense at all as to where they're coming down yet. Do we, Katie? Um, I think a lot of the, the colleges are still in talks of how that's going, how that's going to reopen, you know, what kind of uh, rules are going to have in place. Are class, some classes going to be. Whoop, lost Katie. We'll try and get her back. Steve, let me go over to you real quick. Um, 
What about the politics of all of this? What, what, you know, there was the, the Kansas legislature had a special session and there was some pushback on, on uh, uh, G- Governor Laura Kelly's exercise of authority early in this process and uh, steps to sort of limit her, her uh, choices. Uh, Mark, uh, Mike Parson, Mark, Bar- Mike Parson is planning a news conference Thursday to talk about further reopening. This seems to be still a rumbling uh, political issue across the two states as well. Yeah, I mean, your 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 summation is largely correct. Um, you know, the locality, you know, the local governments in Kansas have largely now sided with Governor Kelly's uh, reopening plan. I think there was some decisions that, you know, having this sort of patchwork of different, uh, 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 you know, reopening guidelines from one county to the next wasn't going to be all that practical. Um, You know, Kelly, I think, took a much harder stance uh, in in deference to public safety than I think Mike Parson did, who, you know, insisted more along the lines of, you know, let's leave it up to the local governments to uh, uh, to to make their decisions, you know, that the that COVID is not affecting rural and urban areas in the same ways. And so you can't, you can't address it under the same, uh, you know, the, the, under the same guidelines. And so, you know, safe to say that he had a much lighter touch when it came to uh, right. these decisions. And he waited longer. We, we've talked about the top down, you know, what counties are doing, what cities are doing, what, what state governments are doing. But, but it seems to me over the summer and into the fall, this will be a bottom-up story. You know, the Star has done some work going to restaurants to see how many people are wearing masks and how many, you know, servers are, are using gloves and, and wiping off menus. The Star has done some work on retail establishments and whether they're distancing and limiting the number of customers. And that the the reaction has been wildly uh, inconsistent, hasn't it, Steve? I mean, you 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 know, some people are doing it, some people aren't. And really, that's the story, isn't it, going into the fall? Yeah, I mean, you know, the things we're obviously going to watch for are, you know, and it's been it's been widely predicted among public health officials, particularly in Kansas City area, that there's going to be another wave. Um, that logically, that seems to follow that that's probably going to happen you know and and anecdotally i would say what i've observed in the limited times when i go out and about is the when people are wearing masks and taking precautions seems to largely depend on the establishment's rules about these things there's one shopping one grocery store i go to where they it's kind of a not a one-in-one-out policy but they limit the number of people who can be in there and almost everybody's wearing masks there there's another grocery store that has no rules really. And very few people seem to be wearing masks, wearing gloves, keeping their distance there. Katie, one more question on COVID before we take a break and we'll come back and talk about uh, the protests. Um, but I want to ask you about COVID as it relates to the protests. Cause you mentioned this earlier. I mean, we've had thousands of people in the streets of Kansas city at, at no social distance at all. Uh, what do we expect the impact of that to be? Uh, on uh, the local response to COVID? And do we think the protesters, and for that matter, police, are testing themselves or, or have, any, uh, have any rigorous way to understand what exposures they might have had during the protest week? 
Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think, um, you know, we will have a more definitive answer in a couple of weeks when um, hopefully the, so the CDC um, advised protesters, um, especially in urban areas, to go get tested if they had been at, you know, the large gathering. And so it's yet to be seen if people are doing that. But, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there was an uptick in cases. I know that a protester in Lawrence um, uh, last week, the Lawrence Douglas County Health Department said that he had tested positive. Um, he wasn't wearing a mask. So, you know, it certainly is a distinct possibility that there will be some transmission at the protest. Yeah. Let me ask you this, and Steve, uh, your reaction to this, too. You do get the sense that the, all of the video of protesting here and across the country has convinced a lot of people that, hey, COVID has gone away. If they can let these people go out, then we can all do whatever we want to do. And you've already seen some pushback churches saying, hey, we need to you know, have, have full accommodation because of what the protesters are all about. The, the, is that possible that people look at those, uh, that video, Katie, in your mind and say, well, if they're not distancing, if they don't care about it, I shouldn't either. I mean, I think that was one of the dynamics, if you will, of the last week that, that, that these protests suggest the COVID emergency is over, which isn't true, but people are reading it that way. Right. Um, yeah, I'm sure there are people out there who see those photos of, of the mass gatherings and feel like, okay, well, we don't have to worry about this. These people are doing it, but it still is definitely out there. And, um, you know, like I said, I, you know, in a couple of weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if there was an uptick. So people still need to be cautious. Be paying attention. Steve, do you have any thoughts on that? The idea that people looked at all the protests and said, well, geez, if they can not socially distance for 10 days, then maybe the uh, crisis has ended. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard a little bit of chatter about, you know, is there a hypocrisy angle here? You know, you've got the folks who uh, spent Memorial Day weekend at, say, like the Lake of the Ozarks. Right. Um, and they got, you know, fairly widely scolded for that. And then, you know, there's these protests and people aren't being scolded for that. But you could also make an argument that the protests had uh, more of a necessity behind them than the Lake uh, of the Ozark and Memorial Day weekend parties. All right, Great. Uh, Let's take a break and we'll talk about that very issue uh, with both of uh, both Katie Moore and uh, Steve Ockrott and my co-host, Derek Donovan. You're on Deep Background. Hey there, this is Derek Donovan of the Kansas City Star Editorial Board, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you like what you hear, help us support this podcast and the journalism that reporters at the Star do every day by subscribing. There's an easy way for you to do it. Head to kansascity.com background. You'll even get a special discount just for being a deep background listener. By subscribing at that URL, you will get three months of unlimited digital access to the star for $1.99 total. That's right. You get access to KansasCity.com, the e-edition of the newspaper, our mobile apps, and more for three whole months, and it only costs you $1.99. That's a pretty sweet deal. Plus, you will be supporting journalism that makes a difference in Kansas City. So go grab your computer or mobile device and head to KansasCity.com background. And hey, thanks for listening. Back now on Deep Background, Dave Helling with the Stars Editorial Board, Derek Donovan, Steve Vockrod, and Katie Moore. We want to turn the corner now and talk about the extraordinary last 10 days in the Kansas City region, Kansas City area, following the uh, just brutal killing of, uh, of uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis uh, by a police officer. 
which touched off astonishing protests, not just here, but in virtually every major city in America and across the world, which, you know, to my mind suggests that uh, this is not a localized problem, the relation between the community and police. It is a national problem, which was one of the arguments you heard made over the last 10 days. Katie, I'll start with you. Do uh, do we think the uh, the energy behind the protest movement in Kansas City has crested? Uh, you know, fewer people gathering and that there's a sort of a uneasy peace now? Or is it just waiting to... Um, uh, open up again. Yeah, I think things have uh, calmed down the past couple of days, um, but for I think 11 days, things were pretty intense. Um, there were thousands of people gathering and um, in the past few days, um, it's unclear kind of what prompted it. If it's just people were fatigued after being out there for 11 days in a row, or um, there had been some progress in terms of policy changes and people backed off, but yeah, it's calmed down the past few days. Um, uh, Steve, uh, give us your own impressions of what the uh, last 11 days have been about in Kansas City and uh, whether or not it was a burst of energy or whether there's something sustainable in all of this. Well, Kansas City, of course, has its own <clears throat> legacy of incidents, incidences where uh, black people have been killed by Kansas City police officers under questionable or even outright uh, uh, unacceptable unacceptable circumstances. Um, and so, you know, Kansas City is not without its history on this, right? And so it took on, you know, the protest took on a very immediate feel to it. And, you know, it started off, you know, the first the first day of protests were fairly calm. And then a week from this last Saturday kind of descended into uh, something resembling some of the images that we've seen in other cities like Portland, Minneapolis, Atlanta, not quite as bad, I would argue, but you had tear gas, you had destruction of property, you had police and, you know, what I think is safe to call riot gear. Um, and since then, you know, and there were a couple dicey days after that too, but I think since then, the police have take started to take a more of a hands-on approach. I was out at the protests last Friday night, and you know, one of the things that was kind of an off-limits uh, thing for protesters to do is to go out onto the streets. That's something that they were pretty, the police were pretty strict about, and became sort of a trigger point for some of the uh, heightened tensions that were going on in the earlier phases of the protest. And on Friday night, the protesters went out onto the streets in large numbers uh, through the Country Club Plaza, and the police stayed at a distance. And in fact, they were blocking off intersections from traffic to allow protesters to have that route that they wanted to take. And so, you know, the, the, it seems like the tension between police and protesters in the context of the protests has de-escalated. But I don't think the protesters are letting up on any of their messages that they're trying to get forward. And in fact, you're starting to see protests happening in some of the outlying cities. Uh, you know, Lee Summit has had some demonstrations. I think Prairie Village tonight is having uh, a demonstration. And so Shawnee, I think Shawnee had one. And yeah, and of course, a, Kansas City, Kansas has its own great history. And there has been movement on that side of the state line, too. Right. Right. And so it's, it's been a, it's been a pretty sustained, uh, 
uh, level of protest in, in this metro area. which is and, and, and isn't that a bit of a surprise? I mean, I think one of the things that the police department departments maybe miscalculated was the idea that this would be sustainable, you know, because there are protests in Kansas city at the fountain Nichols fountain all the time, the Nichols fountain for now, at least. Uh, and, but they tend to last a day, maybe two days and then go away. This was much more sustained and energetic Steve in a way that maybe the police department, uh, didn't initially appreciate. I think that's right. I think I think you're also starting to see action as well. Um, you know, I think a lot of it's kind of smaller steps right now, but you're starting to see things like, you know, apparently at the Parks Board, I saw some chatter about this last night at the uh, Kansas City Parks Board meeting. There were some calls to take uh, J.C. Nichols's name off the fountain uh, in Mill Creek Park. And J.C. Nichols is, of course, the famed developer uh in Kansas City from uh, several decades, about a century ago, really, uh, who also- And well-known racist. <laughs> he left the racist legacy of, uh, of covenants uh, attached to properties that excluded uh, um, minorities uh, and people of certain religions from being able to own properties. And so you're seeing stuff like that. The local control debate in Kansas City is probably as pitched and as serious as I've ever seen it in my time in Kansas city. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if those changes take, take root, but you're starting to see action and you're starting to see, uh, I think people really taking this seriously it does. It, it's taking on that feel of a very transformative, uh, moment in history. Yeah. Um, and Katie, not only Steve mentioned a couple examples, but there's been calls for chief Rick Smith to resign. Uh, there have been calls for changes in police department tactics, a huge uh, discussion of whether there should be a quote-unquote amnesty for nonviolent protesters who faced citations for their actions. I mean, there's a whole range of movement uh, over the last two or three days. Maybe that took a little bit of the steam, if you will, out of the anger of the crowd. Right. I think it did. Um, they, you know, the protesters uh, got some of their demands met. And so, you know, for some people, they might back off. But I think um, what remains to be seen for something like body cameras, um, which they announced that they had secured the funding for last week at one of the protests, uh, Chief Smith announced that. And so I think there will still be pressure on those changes and how they're going to be implemented. Will the public have access to body camera footage when there is a high profile incident, what is going to be the policy for when officers have to turn them on and off. So I think that um, the protests um, accomplished, they accomplished some of their goals. And now that's that conversation is moving into policies and city council meetings and maybe a different format. Right. And Steve, that I think that to your point, that's what you worry about a little bit, that there is, a, you know, and it's not unique to Kansas City, but Kansas City is an exemplar of the idea that calls for change happen, proposals for change are made, and then everything gets stuck in the mud. And here we are six weeks, six months from now, and nothing has really changed. And in this case, it's particularly possible that could happen because of the resistance of the police department. Uh, to any fundamental change, which I think is very clear and has been clear for some time. Right. I think, you know, one of the 
I mean, police have a lot of political cap- capital, and particularly through their uh, through the police unions, in you see this across the country, uh, where they are very resistant to outside influences on their policies and procedures. Uh, they are generally steadfast against that. They wield a lot of power among local and I would say even state politicians, because uh, it's a lot of politicians' worst nightmare to be described as soft on crime. And police unions uh, are pretty quick to make that claim in response to proposals for reform and things of that nature. Um, and so, you know, and, and, and you've seen that you've seen the FOP in Kansas City make some very pointed responses to some of the things that Gene Peters Baker has said, uh, which has been which has been pretty interesting. So there's a lot of politicians who are very reluctant to touch that hot potato for, for, for that reason. And that's why change has been hard to come by. However, you've seen some tipping points happen in other cities, you know, Minneapolis, certainly uh, they've moved very quickly to, uh, you know, having a, a, a very real discussion about disbanding or defunding or, you know, realigning their police department. You know, those are all kind of these words that get difficult to parse out in the context of this discussion, but, you know, they're moving on this. Um, and in Kansas City, it'll be very interesting to see how sustained this will be because the police have a lot of support and it's difficult to see Mike Parson in the Republican-controlled legislature uh, moving m- moving, moving this heavy boulder in the, uh, uh, in, in, in the legislature to enable a return of local control or something like that. You also have the very real question, um, particularly when it comes to body cameras, about what they're going to change. As Farhad Manju of the New York Times noted last week, the police officer that was captured on video in the George Floyd incident was acutely aware that people were recording him and he went ahead and did what he did anyway. So I think it's logical and reasonable to ask is a body camera on every police officer going to make any difference in this highly documented world that we have anyway? Everybody on the street pretty much has a smartphone that has a camera on it these days. Right. And if that's true, and Katie, I'll direct this to you. If that's true, aren't we setting ourselves up a little bit for a disappointment if nothing happens in 90 days or, or six months, if we're still you know, Chief Smith is still on the job and, and, and there is no real movement for local control and the body cameras haven't been purchased yet and are not deployed. I mean, all of that seems to be a recipe for frustration uh, based on the expectations that may now be in place. Yeah, I think, um, you know, few months down the line, if there is no real movement on some of these things, especially the things that the police department has committed to, um, people... I think that would spark another uh, wave of, of anger and possibly more protests if, you know, that, that isn't um, followed through on. Right. And, and sort of a, a final observation, Steve, I'll, I'll, to you and then to Katie. Uh, you know, Mayor uh, Quentin Lucas's posture in all of this has been pretty fascinating because he's clearly trying to, you know, walk a bit of a line between the police side, if you will, and the protester side. And while that works in the short term, over the long term, his role will be uh, critical, right? And people will sort of say, you've got to pick a side, Mayor, rather than, you know, if he's talking to the police, he'll say one thing. 
if he's talking to the people in the streets, maybe something else. Yeah, he he's certainly a person to watch in in all of this, and it's hard to know where where he'll where he'll come down, and he may not come down firmly on one side or another. Um, you know, he could he could try to broker some compromise or some measures that you know the thing about protesters and police in the context of this situation is you get you there's a tendency to for 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 the various sides in this to stake out maximalist positions and maximalist positions are not often realized and so you know reform to the extent that we see it in kansas city will probably be somewhere in between uh the various points that uh various parties have staked out in this um you know, the, the one other observation I would make is the potential for this to remain a sustained protest or sustained issue is it's occurring in the midst of a national presidential election. And you have a president who, uh, unlike our mayor, has staked out a very clear position and, you know, very pro law enforcement side of things. And he's unlikely to let up on that rhetoric. And that'll probably keep this discussion going uh, on through in, uh, into November. Well, and and Katie, just to wrap up our conversation and to bring it full circle, this is also unfolding in the middle of a continuing pandemic. And so that changes the dynamics too, does it not? You know, I, I mentioned Mayor uh, Lucas, but, but it, it's true for all uh, politicians. You know, and I think I may have said this on a previous podcast, but God laughs at our plans, right? I mean, <laughs> who would have thought at the start of this year that that these two stories would be what they have turned out to be? And so what I do think we can expect is some real, um, uh, you know, people really trying to ad lib this situation, if you will, because you, there are no clear answers on the police. There is no clear direction on COVID either. I mean, we're really in an uncertain time. Is that right in your view? Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty out there. And I think that um, people just, you know, I get a lot of emails about the numbers for COVID and also about the protests and people have their views, but I think they also just want to be informed and understand like where, where is, where are the numbers coming from and or where is this anger coming from? And that is just a continuing conversation. Right. We, and I'm sure you're getting emails, people doubting the numbers that, you know, it was just, uh, I mean, that's the other problem, Steve. And again, final question that that's the other concern is that there is a, an ongoing political war about facts and, and, and who brings you facts. And that's going to make this even more difficult and complicated. No question there. And that's going to be an issue that is uh, going to stretch on for years after, uh, after these issues stay to the background. All right. Speaking of background, you have been on Deep Background. We'd like to thank our two guests, Steve Ockrod and Katie Moore of The Star, both excellent journalists and have really done some great work during both of these stories. And we thank you so much, both of you, for taking your time to chat with us here on the podcast. As always, Derek Donovan, thank you so much for not only joining us, but doing the engineering work from, from the studios way north of the river. Thanks, Derek. And I'm Dave Helling with the Kansas City Star's editorial board. You have been on Deep Background.